Good morning, church. This morning, we are reading from uh, Galatians 5, verses 22 through 26. If you want to pull out your Bibles, it'll be on the screen behind me. Let's read the word of the Lord together. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There's no law against these things. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the Spirit, let us follow the Spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we love you and we thank you for this space, this room, your spirit filling this place as we worship you today, God. I pray for Trey as he brings this message, God, that what is true about your character, um, what is true about the gift that you give us in your spirit, God, that we have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control, God, that we would know those things to be true, that they are gifts and they are a part of your character that you have given to us and bestowed on us as your children, God. I pray that we would hear the words of truth this morning that Trey brings, that we will be filled with your spirit to live lives that look more and more like you as we interact in our workplaces, in our families, in our neighborhoods, God. Um, yeah, that you would just empower us to live like you are leading us to do, God. Um, I just pray that your spirit would be kind and gentle to us as truth is being spoken over us this morning. We ask this all in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Daniel. As a kid, uh, people tend to ask you, uh, what do you want to be when you grow up? I had a couple answers as a kid, but one of them was I wanted to be an Olympic swimmer. Uh, Scott and I back there were just talking about uh, watching swimming. I, apparently swimming was on NBC yesterday and I missed it and I'm still kind of disappointed. Uh, I competitively swam most of uh, growing up and I love the water. Still, every time I like see swimming, I imagine myself doing it. Uh, usually that's every four years when the Olympics comes about. And every four years I imagine getting into training and uh, what type of training uh, regime I would need, what I would have to do, what type of shape I'd need to be in, what kind of times I would need. Does anybody else do that with the Olympics or watching sports? Anybody? Okay. Uh, keep in mind, I haven't competitively swam since I was 18 and I peaked my swimming career at about the age of 12. I'm not kidding, that's really when I peaked. Uh, outside of going to the pool with friends or family, I can probably count on like two hands the amount of times I've like swam laps. You know, there's always time though, right? I, I think that at the Olympics, there's, I've got four years to get ready for this thing. Uh, admittedly though, I was at the beach this past week and swam in the pool and I did one stroke of butterfly and my neck hurt, which I have literally never had happen. My neck hurt before I even got physically tired, so. I might be past my prime on getting into swimming. But there's always race walking, right? Or competitive speed walking. Just kidding, have y'all seen that? It's wild. It's so fast. Um, I was talking with uh, my father-in-law yesterday and he said he, it was only recently that he came to realize like I'm probably not going to be in the Olympics in my lifetime. <laughs> he said it moved from like whatever sport to like, I, I, there's always curling. <laughs> but this question of like, what do you want to be when you grow up is a hard question, right? Uh, it, when do I grow up? When am I grown up? When, what do I even want? Do I, can I even know what I want? Will that change? And then if I do decide what I want to be when I grow up, like what if I want to be more than one thing? Am I then forsaking my calling to do the other thing? 
there's a lot of pressure around it. And the question itself illuminates some things, often regarding like where you grew up, what type of people you saw doing the things. If you've seen people who look like you or in a similar status as you are uh, doing something, you're more likely to see that as an opportunity for you. Uh, what's my family of origin like? Do I need to be close to family? Could I even do these type of things? What type of financial resources does it take? There's a lot of factors under, underneath this, but the question also presupposes that you can have a thorough answer to it. Um, and I'm guilty of this. When someone's in college or whatever, we often ask, like, you know, what's after you graduate? Like, what do you hope to do? And it, sometimes when you're getting ready to graduate college, that question is just as awful because you're like, I, I, don't, I don't know. I've changed my major three times, or I kept the same major, but I still don't know. And usually my response is when someone says, I don't know, I said, none of us do. Uh, maybe the most honest answer for a lot of us is, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up and when I am a grown-up. I maybe know that I'm doing what I'm supposed to do now, or maybe even what I'm supposed to be doing now for some of you is questioning what I'm doing now and wondering what the next right thing is. Maybe the answer is, what do you want to be when you grow up? Well, I guess this for now, but ask me again in five years, or maybe tomorrow. I propose we switch questions to move from what do you want to be when you grow up to who do you want to be? Who are you made, it to, be? made to be? What type of person do you want to become? Uh, perhaps many of us spend plenty or enough time thinking about what we want to do, what type of career we want to have, what type of job we hope to get, and not enough time considering what type of person we want to become. Perhaps we spend our efforts on accomplishing our goals, our ambition, making money, while not actually becoming who we're created to be. And we spend our efforts on achieving these things without actually considering what it is that's forming us and shaping us into who we're becoming. What if it's actually possible to end your days as a kinder, more loving, more patient, more peaceful, more joyful, more generous, gentler, and more self-controlled person? you actually can be transformed through the power of the Holy Spirit to become a person of love. And if you've been in or around church before, you've probably heard this passage about the fruit of the Spirit. Chances are some of you probably have a song come into your head when I say the fruit of the Spirit's not a, anybody know? Apple, watermelon, great. I didn't know the rest of it, so I'm glad y'all did. But chances are you have some melody or some other thought, and it could be worthwhile for us to like stick around and unpack each individual word here. What does it mean to be loving? What does it mean to be joyful? What does it mean to be peaceful and patient and kind? Uh, but to be honest, I was rather surprised as I was prepping for this message and I was reading through various commentaries. The ones I was reading generally weren't doing that. They weren't focusing on the particular words. But it could be worthwhile to stick around and focus on each one, unpack one or two, and then end my message with, which one is the Holy Spirit convicting you of and which one do you need to grow in this week? What does God want to do within you and what are some practical things that you could do to become that? That's absolutely worthwhile. But what I think is essential to understand is that the point of talking about the fruit of the Spirit is not simply to make you a kinder person. It's not simply to make you a more patient person or to make you a more loving person or more joyful or more peaceful person, though I hope all that happens for you. It centers around becoming more like Jesus. And the purpose is to invite you into intimacy with Jesus and the, that the fruit of the Spirit is those things. It's the result of the Spirit's work within you. In his commentary on Galatians, a theologian named Scott McKnight uh, pointed out something that was rather surprising to me. It's that the fruit of the Spirit is not an exhaustive list. In other words, uh, what God wants to do in you is more than just what is listed in the fruit of the Spirit here in Galatians chapter 5. 
In fact, if you read the context around it, it kind of makes it clear that this is for a particular people what the work of the Spirit ought to look like in their life. And right before this passage, we see the Apostle Paul diving into like a controversy that was going on between two different groups. Uh, Basically, there was one group of people who was saying that in order to be saved, you needed to follow Jesus plus implement what particular aspects of the Old Testament law. And Paul was saying any message that is Jesus plus something else is missing the point. Jesus plus the law in order to have salvation is missing. It is Ephesians chapter two says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith. It is a gift of God, not of works, so that no one can boast. And I wanna be, I wanna be mindful here too, because I think um, you know, context is really important. Uh, I think sometimes for those of us that grew up in more Christian circles, there is a really negative understanding of the law um, or the Old Testament that looks at it as just primarily bad. I wanna read you this from Scott McKnight. Um, he referred to reading through a bunch of Jewish documents concerning morality. And he said the simple reason why Jewish documents emphasize morality is that acceptance with God was for them not the issue. That was promised to the people of Israel from the days of Abraham on. What mattered to them was how to live as the people of God. And there was much debate over that. Um, and so, for example, we see that in Jesus' life and ministry when he is debating people about the Sabbath. The controversy was not whether or not to take the Sabbath. The controversy was how to go about taking the Sabbath. Does that make sense? Um, So let's go through this passage, look at some context right before. So starting in verse 13, it says this, for you have been called to live in freedom, my brothers and sisters, but don't use your freedom to satisfy your sinful nature. Instead, use your freedom to serve one another in love. For the whole law can be summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. But if you're always biting and devouring one another, watch out, beware of destroying one another. So Paul says two things about love here. One, the Galatians are to serve one another in love. And then two, the entire law of Moses is summed up in the commandment from Leviticus 19, verse 18, love your neighbor as yourself. So there is a way of understanding sin, at least to me, that seems to be a, that sin would be a failure to embody the first and second commandments, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all of your soul, all of your mind, all of your strength. And the second is like it, to love your neighbor as yourself. And then we get on to verse 16. So I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Then you won't be doing what your sinful nature craves. So there we're even kind of getting at what the Holy Spirit wants to do in your life is not simply producing love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, and all those. But to guide you in every aspect of your life, to form you into Christ-likeness, to transform you into a person of love, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, and all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. So then we get on to verse 17. The sinful nature wants to do evil, which is just the opposite of what the Spirit wants. And the Spirit gives us desires that are the opposite of what the sinful nature desires. These two forces are constantly fighting each other, so you are not free to carry out your good intentions. But when you are directed by the Spirit... You are not under obligation to the law of Moses. So Paul here seems to be making a case that for those of us that follow Jesus, there's two kind of competing things. There's walking in the way of the spirit, a way that leads to life. As Jesus says in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And there is a way or a path that leads to destruction or death. And then we get into a particular list. Um, And there's a lot in here that we're not necessarily going to unpack, but it says this. uh, When you follow the desires of your sinful nature, the results are very clear. 
So it's, it's a result of walking in a particular type of way. Sexual immorality, impurity, lustful pleasures, idolatry, sorcery, hostility, quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, envy, drunkenness, wild parties, and other sins like these. Let me tell you again, as I have before, that anyone living that sort of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. So what we're seeing are two different things contrasted, a way of walking in the spirit that leads to life, and we're going to see that with the fruit of the spirit, and a way that walking in the flesh or and the and your sinful desire leads to death and destruction. And we're going to come back to this in just in just a moment. Then we get to verses 22 through 26. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives: love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. Um I wasn't planning on asking all this, but does that, that, that statement of there's no law against these things confuse anybody? Or was that just me when I was reading it? That's fine if it was just me. Um, I was talking with my father-in-law on the way back from the beach yesterday, and I told him, I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, what is, because I would read online and people say, people can't legislate goodness. And I'm like, okay, that's cool, whatever. I don't think that's what Paul's getting at. Uh, he's talking about the law there, referring to the Old Testament law, and I think what he's getting at, and I may be mistaken here, is that we can debate a lot of things about how we go about applying the law, how we go about applying all these different moral issues. But when it comes to becoming a person who exemplifies the fruit of the Spirit, who is more loving, joyful, peaceful, patient, we don't need to argue about any of that. That is the basis. That's who we're called to be. In other words, we're not called to get all just caught up in these arguments about all this other stuff, but to become people of love. And then it says this, those who belong to Christ Jesus have nailed the passions and desires of their sinful nature to the cross or to his cross and crucified them there. Since we are living by the spirit, let us follow the spirit's leading in every part of our lives. Let us not become conceited or provoke one another or be jealous of one another. So a couple things to note about the fruit of the spirit. As I mentioned, it's not an exhaustive list. Secondly, it's statements of character, not skill. Uh, In other words, following after God does not mean that you are necessarily going to get earthly success or get a lot of money. It doesn't mean your life's going to be without trouble. It doesn't mean that you're all of a sudden uh, now going to be able to teach when you weren't able to teach. It doesn't mean that you're going to be able to have, I don't know, you fill in the blank. It means that following after God will transform you into a person of love. It's furthermore, it's statements of character, not earthly success. It doesn't mean necessarily that you're going to get your dream job or that you're going to get money or that you're going to have an easy, carefree existence. In fact, Jesus himself said, in this world you will have troubles, but take heart for I have overcome the world. And so what we see, once again, are these two contrasted ways of operating here. And I may be mistaken here, but I think Paul is drawing on some like Old Testament tradition as well. There's a passage um, in Deuteronomy uh, chapter 30. where he says, now listen, this is the Lord talking, today I'm giving you a choice between life and death, between prosperity and disaster, for I command you this day to love the Lord your God and to keep his commands, decrees and regulations by walking in his ways. If you do this, you will live and multiply, and the Lord your God will bless you in the land you are about to enter and occupy. And he contrasts that with turning away from God. So there's a way of walking with God that leads to life and a way that leads to death. And so when I look at the list, if it's true, Uh, that this is a particular list of how these sinful desires get played out in a particular context. 
He goes through a list of things, uh, but that's certainly not the end-all, be-all of all things that are bad in the world. I can name a couple things that aren't listed, uh, murder being one of them, uh, that's not listed in this particular example, but is murder bad? Yes, okay, great. This is a quick check. See if I need to call the police um, today. Just kidding, um, or not, I don't know. Now, if this is specifically aimed at a group of people, uh, what might the Apostle Paul say to us today? What are types of things that walking in accordance with our sinful desires might lead us into today? Uh, certainly, these things would also apply, as I was reading through, a couple words jumped out, uh, that of quarreling, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissension, division, and, well, literally all the other ones would also apply to us today. Uh, but some of these in our culture are also celebrated, and if I may put it so strongly, uh, some of them are also baptized and called Christian. Uh, in the sense of it is easy for uh, some form of selfish ambition to get baptized and call godly ambition, or walking in who God has created you to be, when actually your purpose in doing these things for God is not to do them for God, but it's to draw attention to yourself. And that is really, really, really dangerous. Philippians chapter 2 says this, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And I'm a person that likes to have goals and um, a, likes to accomplish things. And I'm coming up uh, this week on uh, a milestone birthday. Daniel told me I should include that I'm in my last week in my 20s. Um, uh, and I'm coming up on a milestone of 30 this week. And thinking through the things that I was hoping to accomplish by the time I hit 30, and I did not do them, some of them. Um, I've done a lot of other wonderful things. Um, met my wife, married my wife. We have two uh, beautiful, sweet, uh, very tiring kids. Um, got ordained, went to seminary. We've lived in two different houses. Um, a lot of really wonderful things I can reflect back on, but there are other things that even a couple years ago, I was like, I want to accomplish this by the time I hit 30 that I did not do. 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, maybe this will convict you like it does me. Make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands, just as we instructed you before. You see, I think a lot of us spend our lives thinking about what it is that we want to do and forsaking what actually is most important. Loving the Lord our God and loving our neighbor is ourselves. And what is deceptive uh, to me about this list of things that Paul refers to as being results of walking in our sinful desire is that these things tend to promise something to us that they fail to deliver on and actually leave us unfulfilled. And so I want to offer a couple others uh, that I think we might need to be weary of as well. Uh, one is to beware of hyper-individualism. Here's what I mean by that. Uh, in essence, the focus of our lives being primarily ourselves, that everybody looks out for number one, namely me, and you, your number one is you. And what it promises is some form of self-actualization, a deep form of acceptance to discover your truest self. But it leaves you wondering if anybody actually cares about you, because we all just care about ourselves. And then at the end of your life, or if you're not able to reach the goals that you thought you would, it leaves you wondering if you're even valuable or if any of it even really matters anyways. Because the truth is, we weren't meant to live alone. Um, and the image of the fruit of the Spirit is one where it's not just primarily geared around the self, but is aimed at others. Uh, been reflecting this week, uh, you know, I think just with turning 30, and then also uh, with being at the beach with kids, and just it takes up 
a lot of energy, but I have a lot of time to think. And uh, I was playing at the beach with my son, Caleb, and he was very interested in finding animals this week, very interested in frogs and lizards and um, all the things. And so we went to the beach, and I was like, I love catching fish at the beach. That was so fun. And so I went to the beach, and I was like, I'm going to go and try to catch a fish with a we, had, we didn't have a net. We had a bucket, which is a terrible way to try to catch the fish in a wave. But that's what I decided I was going to do. So I got the bucket, and I was in the waves, like, trying to catch it. Uh, I think I also hurt my arm trying to catch it, hitting the sand. But that's neither here nor there. I looked like a dingus is what I looked like, doing it by myself. And I realized pretty quickly, Caleb did not care about finding a fish. He was not even slightly interested in it. As much as, I think he would have liked it if I caught one. That's what I told myself. I said I was doing it for my son, but I was doing it for me to relive some form of nostalgia. (laughs) And I realized part of the way through, I would rather look for fish. And he's interested in going and looking for shells. And you know what I don't want to do? Look for shells. That just does not sound fun for me. But I realized this is not about me. I'm not going to, when I'm 80, think about me trying to catch a fish with a green bucket and hurting my arm and looking like a thing is on the beach. I'm going to think about those fun times getting shells with my son. You see, love doesn't just look out for its own way, but it looks out for another, caring for another person. Another way this hyper-individualism plays out is is in our community. Um, And my guess is, as I say this, it's probably going to resonate with a number of you. There is a form of what we call community that is more consumeristic than it is actually communal. Uh, What I mean by that is that we see other people as products and we market ourselves as products to other people. Uh, Basically, that I have some void that needs to be filled, which is true, I'm not meant to be alone. And you have some void that needs to be filled, you're not meant to be alone. And so we try to find that together. Um, But what happens is very quickly we become products to one another, that you become the funny friend. You become the depressed friend. Uh, You become the friend that people like to come and talk to and cry with. You become the friend that is a doctor. You become the friend that is whatever. And what happens? What happens if you cease to be that? Well, you're no longer valuable to them. And so it leaves you feeling like people are going to leave you if you stop being valuable. It promises to give you some form of acceptance and make this community void feel fulfilled because you can always go out and get more, but it actually leaves you feeling incredibly lonely, incredibly isolated, wondering if you're even if you're even valuable. And we basically see each other as products to be used for our own personal gain and not actually as people made in the image of God. That my worth to you does not depend on like how good or bad a sermon is. I have to remind myself of that. Uh, your worth to me does not depend on if you're a volunteer at church or not, or like what you, whether you were funny and made me laugh at dinner or not. Like that's not what your worth depends on. Your worth depends on the fact that you are made in the image of God and you are deeply loved by God. And that's true of you, no matter where you come from, where you've been, what you've done. And the invitation is if God loves you and he made you, the invitation for all of us is I can't wait to get to know you because my God knows you and he loves you. That we are not products to one another. Another one that I think we might need to be aware of is to beware of masks. Uh, Beware of putting on a mask, pretending like everything's okay. Not to say that you share everything with everyone, but pretending like everything's okay, either to yourself or with God or with your close friends. There's even a form of, uh, have you heard the term vulnerability before? Fake vulnerability? Uh, This perhaps is more uh, true online than sometimes in person. It gives the illusion of being vulnerable without actually being vulnerable. 
gives the illusion of being known while you're actually wearing a mask, and it offers a form of acceptance because you don't have to worry whether or not someone is going to hurt you by letting yourself be vulnerable, but it actually leaves you wondering if you're even loved because you're not known. And how can you be feel fully loved if you're not fully known. Another one I think we might want to talk about is the ambition for earthly success, which promises money, fame, or success, or a feeling that your life will be worthwhile if you accomplish enough, but what happens if for whatever reason you don't? You can't because it's not your gift set, you didn't get the opportunities, the cards just weren't in your favor, whatever the reason is. Um, I think there was a line by uh, Jim Carrey, y'all familiar with him? Um, who said something to the extent of, I wish that everyone could be rich and famous so they'd realize that it's not the answer for anything. And you're probably thinking like I was, well, I'd still, I'd like to try and see, you know, still sounds nice. But what he's getting at is that this, this promise of like riches and fame and all this stuff promises that it will make us feel worthwhile, but it leaves you feeling worthless or less than worthy if you don't achieve what you set out to, or if you do, wondering what's the point of any of it at all. We could go on for a number of things, materialism, greed, envy, using people's uh, bodies as like just things for our own pleasure and not seeing people as made in the image of God. We could go into a lot of different things. But you see, what Jesus offers us is different. As Tim Keller, uh, who was a pastor in New York said, in Christianity, we find the only place where our identity is received and not achieved. And all these other things, it says, if you do enough, then you will feel worthwhile. If your body looks good enough, if you're in good enough shape, then you will feel really good about yourself and everything will be better. If you are successful enough, you'll feel like you've accomplished and made a difference in the world. If people know who you are, then you're worthwhile. But in Christianity, it says, no, those things don't make you worthwhile. Your identity is received and not achieved. You are loved, not because of what you've done, that you are loved whether you are rich or poor. You're loved whether you accomplish a lot or accomplish a little. You're loved regardless of your age or background or status. We find in Christianity the only place that our primary identity doesn't rest in how good or bad our bodies look, our gender, our relationship status, our age, that our primary identity is received from God and he wants to offer you a deep sort of life into who you were created to be and he wants to cultivate within you the fruit of the spirit, including those listed, but you might also add things like justice and holiness and righteousness and other things as well. Namely, God wants to form you into a person of love, which stems from this. God loves you, and as uh, we, we see elsewhere, we love because he first loved us. As Galatians 2.20 says, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. You see, uh, when we follow after Jesus, the invitation is not to like not accomplish anything. It's not to just like not do your dreams. It's not that, but it's actually that we receive this new identity that Jesus offers that now in Christ, I'm an adopted son of God. I'm deeply loved. I'm deeply cherished. Um, I'm reminded of the words of Jesus, of the words spoken over Jesus in his baptism. I am his beloved son with whom he is well pleased. That is true of me, not because I've earned it, but that's true because of who he is. I'm given things like the fruit of the spirit. I'm given spiritual gifts. And the challenges for me in my life is not to earn that, it's to live into the identity that my father has proclaimed over me. And there's a big difference in those two things. So out of God's love for us, we then love others. And that leads us into a couple things, that we are to become people of love, who love God, love people, and then as Jesus said in the Great Commission, to go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father and the Son and the Spirit, and teaching them to obey all that I've commanded. And behold, I will be with you always, even until the end of the age.
And now um, I'm going I'm to invite Carly to, to come back up. And as we kind of move towards uh, responding and in, in singing together, um, I realized that I didn't give you literally uh, any practical things on how to grow in the fruit of the Spirit. Um, and the point of that today was more just to give a backdrop for it, because in the next three weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at um, how to do that through three things that are our values as a church. Connection, that is connecting with God and connecting with others and connecting with who you are created to be, that you're not meant to be alone. Secondly, formation. Uh, this would probably be one way you could explain it is going back to my image of me wanting to be a competitive swimmer. If I wanted to become a competitive swimmer again, what do I need to do? Practice. I need to get in the pool. I need to do things. So formation is a way of saying, I want to partner with the spirit of God in the work that God wants to do within me. Um, I can say I want to grow in relationship with God, but if all my life I'm just spending turning away from him, I'm not actually going to be growing much into turning to be more like him. That I want to fix my eyes on Jesus and become more like him. Put off the old self. Um, there is a line, I think it's by, I think it's by Ignatius of Loyola that said, uh, sin is a failure to believe that God wants, what God wants for me is my deepest happiness. In essence, uh, that sin is a way in which we fail to believe that what God has for us is actually better than what I think is good for me. And so formation is a way of intentionally partnering with the Spirit and becoming who God has created to be. And then lastly, mission. That God is already out at work in the world and to learn how do we join with him, both as a community of people and then individually in your sphere of influence. And so over the next couple of weeks, that's what we're going to talk about. Um, but, but today, as we, uh, as we wrap up, and I'm going to pray for us, I just want you to consider as we sing, what is an area of your life that you've bought into some form of lie? of this sinful desire that has promised you some form of feeling or acceptance or value that actually is leaving you hanging, that you feel in your soul. Uh, maybe for you, like me, you struggle with the feeling of if I'm not valuable enough, then people don't want to be with me. Do you guys ever do that? Like you leave hanging out with people and you're like, oh man, I'll probably struggle with it day after I leave if I'm honest. Was that sermon any good? Like, do people even that resonate with anybody? And I'll go home and wonder and I'll have to trust, like my worth does not come from that. Do you ever leave a conversation with someone and say, oh man, that, I, I wasn't funny. I was so boring today. I wasn't interesting at all. If we're honest, probably the other people are wondering the same thing about themselves. Your worth doesn't come from how valuable you were in a conversation or whether you offered great insight or whether you made people laugh, although all those things can be great. Your worth comes from you are loved by God. You're made in his image, and that's true of you, no matter what you've done or where you've been. So as we get ready to sing, and I'm going to pray for us, I want you just to ask, what are some of those lies that I believe, that I've come to internalize, and ask the Lord to change that within you, to remove that and cultivate within you a fruit of the Spirit? We all pray with me. God, thank you so much for being here with us in this moment. Thank you for your kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness. God, I'm just even reminded that as we come in contact with you and we spend time with you, not only do you form those things within us, but we also see like the fruit of the Spirit modeled with you and in you. And so we get to see a positive example of that. And so God, I'm just, I just know um, being in a room like this that a number of us have a lot of bad examples um, in ways in which we've been formed and come to believe lies. And so God, I pray just in the mighty name of Jesus, even as we sing that you would break down those lies. Um, God, I'm just reminded, uh, as I have been recently, like, God, if I come here and I preach and we talk about you, Lord, it doesn't, I don't think it matters that much if you're not here and you're present. 
And so God, I just ask right now as we uh, respond and sing that you make your presence known to us. I know for some in the room, we're not gonna feel literally anything, but I pray that even for some, that there is just a mighty sense of your power. And God, I'm reminded too of this image that um, at a wedding, uh, sometimes uh, we get to be the, the bride and the groom, and then other times we're just wedding guests there to celebrate. And so God, if there are people in the room that just get to encounter you in a beautiful way, for those of us that may not sense that in this moment, I pray that we celebrate what you're doing because you are good and you are here and you are with us. And so God, I pray that you break down lies. Um, Lord, we bring to you our sin, our sinful desires, and we confess those to you. Help us to find a deep security in our identity in you. And for those that may not be sure if they trust or believe in you, Lord, I pray that um, they bring that to you too and just tell you, I don't know that I believe. God, I pray that as we sing, you just do something, um, that you you uh, showcase who you are, show them that you love them, that you're for them, that you invite them into an intimate relationship with you, that they, as they bring their sin um, to you and believe in you, Lord, that you would rescue them, that you would save them. Um, and so, God, I just pray right now in this moment um, for all of us in the room, Lord, we, we bring all of these things to you and ask that you meet us in the name of the Father and the Son and the Spirit. Thanks for watching the service. We pray that it blessed you and helped you grow closer to God. If you are in the Nashville area, we'd love for you to join us sometime. If you're not in the Nashville area, we'd love to help you get connected with the local church if you don't already have one. We pray that God blesses you this week and that he grows you closer in your relationship with him and with your community, that he uses you in a powerful way to be a vessel of his good news in everywhere that you go. May God bless you.